in Seattle. Seattle. You need to buy yourself a home. We'll be right there for you. Because we're the realtors that you can trust. So go to RodandDancerDown.com. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. It's the Ron and Don Show, starring Ron and Don, and sometimes me, at ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys. Welcome to episode 580. Wow, the Ron and Don Show, and we are live in the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, uh, let's talk about why people may be cutting off their parents. Uh, I cut off a parent once. Also, uh, let's talk about longevity. And one of the big secrets to longevity, and they say if you focus on this thing, uh, maybe you'll live a long, fulfilling, fulfilling life. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Who deserves to be rescued? A lot of blowback now about, and we've all talked about the Titan, which was a submersible that went down to see the Titanic, and we all know it exploded, it blew apart. There's things out on the internet now saying, and I think some people created this with AI, where they're saying, hey, this is we, we recorded this with microphones in the ocean, and this is people finding out and screaming and yelling right before the implosion happened. Uh, they're saying that this is probably just some made-up stuff that people are now sending out, and that's so cruel to these families. So cruel to put that out there uh, in the world. So anyway, anyway, Ron, you sent this article to me about who... Who deserves to be rescued? Is it billionaires who are in the ocean who, you know, CNN got great TV ratings for this? Or is it hundreds of immigrants that are stuck on a boat and the next thing you know, the boat begins to sink, people begin to die, and the resources to go save these people, we didn't see the kind of resources dispatched uh, that we saw with the Titan submersible, right? Uh, th- this story was... Going down, going down to see the Titanic. This was a very interesting story to me because it happens every time something goes wrong, even when we were on the radio and you'd have a distress signal on Mount Rainier. It's the same thing. Why, why are we spending so much money to rescue? They, they knew the dangers when they climbed the mountain. These guys knew the dangers when they got in that submersible. Why are they, you know, why are they being rescued? So the, the point, and I think it's fair to do a critique. I think it's fair to look at this and to ask these questions. The one thing that I've really been trying hard in my own personal life and also to say on the radio show, this podcast, when we have the chance, is this this whataboutism that has taken over our society is not helping us. And this has been birthed from the political arena mostly, and it's now infiltrating everything, where you say there was a submersible that a rescue attempt happened. What about this other thing? That's not even apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. And so now we go, this other thing was worse, fill in the blank. In this case, it was a, a boat with more people on it that was in, it had a distress call. And so you want to say, this was worse. What about that? That means that this other thing is devalued. And so this happens now all the time. What about that? What about this? What about the other thing? And I would encourage people to consider not doing that anymore for this reason. Everything that happens is a distinct event. The submersible is its own event. 
So if you want to be critical of the response to this submersible, great. But to say, because people tried to rescue the submersible, that they therefore should have tried to rescue this migrant ship, are, it's not the same thing. And so the response to that could be horrible and we can critique the response to the, to the, to the migrant ship. But let's just take a, a, a broad view of this. Let's say that a migrant ship is, uh, from a foreign country and is in foreign waters. All right. And so let's say the vessel is registered to, I'm going to make stuff up here right now. Let's say it's a Cuban vessel and it's packed with a bunch of Cubans. And they are fleeing Cuba and they're in international waters. Well, what is the responsibility of the United States for that vessel? Could it be seen as a hostile act if a sanctioned United States military vessel, let's say, sidles up to a Cuban vessel? Well, the Cubans might think so. So I'm saying there's, there's other things to consider the, beyond looking at a picture and going, that's awful. Look at that human suffering. Why didn't we do that? Um, versus going, it's a private company that, um, also was international waters, but is not related to the military and sent out a distress signal and vessels that are around there, uh, have an obligation in international waters to respond to a distress signal in a different way. So the, the thing that I'm trying to emphasize in this story is n- not everybody does deserve to be rescued. I agree with that premise. If I'm. Who doesn't? Who so so? Who doesn't deserve to be rescued? So let's say you uh, are requiring. I'll, I'll do a very extreme example. Uh, let's say that there is a major river flooding. My the river by my house is flooding, and I get an evacuation notice. The river's flooding. It's going to be flooded by, you know, in two days from now. You need to evacuate. And I say, hell no, I'm not evacuating. And so then the next warning comes out and says, you're on your own. You, we've, been, we've given you a warning. Um, this river will flood. You're on your own. Screw you guys. I know this river. It's not flooding. River floods, and now I am stuck in a very dicey situation. It's called Frank the Neighbor that we talked about two right. episodes ago. Yeah. So for me to expect a first responder to put her life on the line because of my stupidity after being warned, I don't agree with that. Now, if she chooses to be a first responder and to put her life on the line, I'd be grateful. But I don't think after being warned two times that the river was going to flood and I disobeyed that, that I deserve to be rescued. Uh, that's what I believe. So same thing for hurricane people. When you're told Hurricane 5 is coming, you need to evacuate, and they choose to not evacuate, and f- some people flippantly go, I'm having a hurricane party. We're getting the band together. I got a cooler full of hur- you know, hurricane beverages, and we're going to put our Mardi Gras beans on and have a good old time, uh, and then the hurricane comes. I don't think first responders should put their life on the line to rescue those folks because they were given proper warning. So, so in these two situations, do the migrants deserve to be... To- I think they deserve to be rescued, but it is not attached in any way to the submersible. The response to the submersible and the response to the migrant ship are two distinct events. Does the submersible, people in the submersible deserve to be rescued? I don't think the scale to which was given to them was appropriate. I think you had a, uh, a vessel that was not approved by any sort of regulatory branch. They, uh, on purpose, went into international waters to avoid some of these regulatory issues. 
and then the the boat the vessel was failing. So I think the scale was overblown, and it's because of how scintillating the story was. Um, yeah, and that seems cold hearted, but they they knew what they were doing, and they soberly looked at the risk reward and made a decision to he, do that. Yeah, and the thing is, he didn't have a plan B. You you hear James Cameron talk about this, and he's been down to that wreck. I I think almost forty times, thirty three times, to make the movie Titanic. And and then and then we also know that he holds the record. He built a, it. It took seven years to build the submersible that he built, which was a one man submersible to go to the Mariana Trench. Yeah, and 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 to and, and he said he knew when he was down there that that there was no Plan B, and he accepted that, and that's the reason why he didn't want to take anyone with him. Do you think there's a sliding scale on who? deserves i'm putting air quotes around that to be rescued well i look at it a little differently because i think every once in a while people want to take their technology and they want to use it i look at the war in ukraine right now and what we're finding out is how how we're going to find out they're not there there yet we have M, m1a1 tanks they're going to go up against uh russians 80 tanks in their 91s uh we have uh france has some tanks over there right now germany germany has our Leopold tank over there right now? Uh, do we send Black Hawk helicopters to go up against their air support? We are training Ukrainian pilot, pilots right now to fly F-16s. And that was the thing like with the Mount Rainier rescues that we always talked about. The military needed scenarios to mimic they love a it. mountain rescue in battle. They love it. Where bullets aren't flying. Yeah. So that is a different story. So you have a mountain a mountain situation similar to a military environment. You have a distressed person where there's not going to be fire uh, happening. And so for that soldier to train, that's a great mission for them. They are still putting themselves at risk, but it's less risk than trying to train in the mountains of Afghanistan. So that one to me is a different scenario. Or a firefighter going into a house to rescue a child in an upstairs bedroom, that's what they're trained to do. And the the child, they didn't know the house was going to be on fire. That's an unknown situation. I think so what, that's I, a different. Scenario. I think what people see though is they say, okay, in in this particular case, we're we're gonna we're we're gonna do this rescue mission, and and who's gonna pay for it? It looks like Canada is gonna pay for a lot of this, and and kind of the mop up to find out what happened. I I just think too much money was spent on it. I agree, and 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 they knew it had imploded. They they knew days before, and yet. They were sending all this technology, and I think they should have just come out and said, hey, it imploded, and we're going to do some things to just confirm that it imploded, but we know that it imploded. They, they, they knew that. Or at least say we, we have strong evidence that it imploded on, yeah. on the you know, two days. Yeah, and, and, and the story, it's a better TV story. It got great eyeballs on CNN and it, MSNBC it, and it, Fox. It doesn't you know, wash our hands of the way those migrants were treated. That is uh, abhorrent, and that's just a violation of human decency. Uh, but to tr- this this knee jerk thing that we have now, where we would try to tie two things together that are not the same thing, uh, in order to prove our political point, I hope that that stops. I hope that people listen to this and go, I do that a lot of the times. I'm going to stop doing that. Let's argue the specific case on its merits. And then talk about the other thing on its merits yeah. and not always try to tie everything together and go, oh, the sky is blue. What about snow? Doesn't matter. about the, They're not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you on the other side.
All right, listen up, Everett, in Whidbey Island, and our friends over on Bainbridge, and of course down in the South Sound, and over to Wenatchee. What's and up, right University up, Place? Yeah, and right on the east side, and of course all our freaky friends in Fremont. You know why I name all these places? Because Ron and Don have the biggest social media following and the biggest podcast of any realtor in the state of Washington, and probably in the Pacific Northwest, and probably in the country. As a result of that, Everybody in the Ron and Don Nation, well, they're choosing Ron and Don to sell, buy, and invest in real estate. And why do you do that? It's because you trust us with a capital T, and we have a connection from all our years of doing Trust or Radio. But Ron, at the end of the day, we still have to step in, do a great job, be phenomenal, and win the deal, right? Yeah, it all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. It's a 30 to 45 minute Zoom call, free of charge, no obligation. We'll meet you, see if we make a good team. Email me directly, ron at ronanddon.com, or you can set it up on the website, ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. And just got done reading a story about the fact that they say that young, some young people, that there's some young people out there that have decided to cut their parents off. Did you read, did you read this well, article? Not just parents, it's family members. They're saying there's never been a higher rate of familial estrangement than there is right now uh, based on a, a survey that's, that they do periodically. And so these researchers and the people writing the story are trying to figure this out of what is going on. And it it was really interesting to me in, in this regard. Millennials, as much as they like to be lampooned, I think do a lot of things right. And I think this might be one of them. And so many of these people, like some of the examples they gave were like, hey, I grew up in this hyper-religious controlling family and turned out I'm gay. And so then uh, all I did was got lectured and tried to be um, told I was wrong and I was a sinner, I was going to hell and we need to convert me back to being a hetero. And so that person's like, hey, when I became an adult, I decided that I'm going to not be a, you know, I'm not going to engage with this family anymore. Like it doesn't help my life to be any better. And so there's been this centuries long thing of family is everything and you do anything possible for your family and to keep the family together. And millennials now uh, in larger numbers than ever are finally going, eh, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, I don't know if I should be, if something feels toxic or not safe or uh, someone doesn't want to listen and doesn't want to participate, doesn't mean I have to sit there and let my relative badger me over and over and over again just because they're family, and they're just going, I'm out. I'm out. See you later. Yeah. I think I, I've done that with, with some family and some friends. I think what, what happens is when you come to a point in your life, and, and, and for me, this light bulb really went off after years of therapy. We're going to talk about family members and specifically toxic ones. And, and really looking at that and looking at yourself and, and, and taking responsibility for saying, well, how did I contribute to this? Because well, I what, think what you is, did, what is, it would what be my, fair to say that you grew up in this family is everything sort of oh, yeah. situation Especially like in that. The Midwest, very much so, yeah. And then, and then down in New Mexico, family, familiar, all that stuff. It was never questioned. Yeah. And so, and, and so in therapy, what my therapist would often ask me when it, when it came to relationships or habits or things that you do, like for instance, 
I, I like to go and, and work out just about every day. I, I like to go do that. And, and, and so when it comes to working out, we would have these conversations about, Hey, but, but yeah, can you work out too much? Right. Can you, can, can that become the driver for the way that you, you feel about yourself? And, 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 and then is that something I'm going to force on my son? And, and then my son will look back and go, you know, my daddy made me go to the gym when I was 12 and, and so on and so forth. So, so what I learned in therapy is to ask yourself when you look at a relationship behavior, whatever that is, is, is how does this serve me now? Does this make my life better? Does it make it worse or does it kind of stay the same? And, and I had to look at some relationships in my life and specifically the one with my father and toward, toward the, toward the end of his life, I got, I got a letter from him. And I also, the last time I heard from him, I was, I was in new Orleans and this was during Hurricane Katrina, and he called me, and he was crying. I hadn't heard from him in decades, and he's he he's crying, he's praying for me, he's doing all these things, and I was just like, and, and then he never he never called me again after that, uh, and then he had sent me a letter telling me I need to find Jesus and some other things, uh, which was very interesting to me, uh, and that. Uh, and, and, and then my understanding was he was, he, I've, I've been told a number of times he was dying. And then he was, he was in Oregon somewhere. He had been in a home, I think with Parkinson's. And, uh, and so I was invited to go to the funeral and I had already gone to the funeral. Like I, I, I didn't need to go to the funeral because my, my father at that point was dead to me. I didn't hate him. I wasn't mad at him, not angry with him. He had become an excuse in my life for, for some of my own toxic behavior that I had to take responsibility for and, and say, I can't blame this on, on my parent or my parents. This is me. This is who I am. I have to take responsibility and make sure when I'm in other people's lives that hopefully their life is better off for it and, and it's not worse off. And so, and, and, and so I, I really, I really believe, like even when we were up at your the birthday party gathering you have, I look at I look at Ron as one of my family members. And Joe and Jennifer were up there. I look at them as family members. And Mary and Scott were up there. I look at them to me, that's my family. My life is better when I spend time around them. My son's life is better because you guys are all like great uncles to him. His life is better as a result of that. The O'Neill side of my family, I don't know anyone on my dad's side, the O'Neill side, my aunts and all that, my my cookie grandma, I don't know when she passed away or died. They just kind of disappeared when my dad disappeared. And then on, on my mom's side, I have better connections with cousins and other, and other people. But even within my own immediate family, I had, I had to make some choices and say, you know what? There, there are toxic relationships in this family. This is not serving me well. I don't want my son to be around it. I don't want to sit here and react to it. And my life is worse. If, if I stay in contact with this particular person. So I just let people know I'm disconnecting. Uh, I'm blocking them on my phone and on my social media. If you guys ever want to talk about these particular people with me, you can. I'm open, but I really have nothing to say because I've done my work. I am done. This relationship is over. It is toxic. And maybe I'll get a letter in the mail one day. I certainly sent letters to people where you have to make amends. But if, but if people aren't going to do their work and you're going to do yours, you've done your work. You, you even get driven farther apart when you really realize how toxic sometimes those, those family relationships can be. So I just encourage people. You're, you're, 
if, if, if you are in relationships with family members that is damaging, really consider, is my life better or worse the same? And then a lot of times look around at, at some of the friends and neighbors, maybe some people you go to church, whatever that is. Maybe, maybe you're on a, uh, on a team with someone. Uh, spend those minutes and moments with them uh, because that's where I think we, we, even though it's not a blood connection, that that's that's how I connect. That's how I connect with my family. So. Yeah, and so uh, I applaud these millennials that are doing that because I think the lion's share of them are doing it for the right reasons. There's nothing inherently special that makes a relative uh, better per se if they treat you badly. Like the fact that you're related to them if they treat you badly doesn't mean you need to hang around. Yeah, and 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 I think later later in life. It, it can get really get toxic if you have parents that, you know, the we're, we're part of Generation X. The boomers are right in front of us. But then you look at the silent generation who were parented by the greatest generation. And now I'm parenting a, a Generation Z and, and you just talked about the millennials. I, I, I think when you have a child, you, you become you become very aware of the fact that, that there is a family story and, and sometimes the family story is not a good one or, or it's a damaging story. And that, and, and that damage sometimes then can become, uh, you, you'll, you'll drag that right into your current relationships and, and right into your parenting. And, and for me, I never thought I could be a good dad. I never thought I could be a good parent. And now I'm very proud of the parent uh, that I that I am and that I've become, uh, and a lot of that is breaking the chains of the past. Stop blaming your parents for your current behavior. Take take responsibility for your own toxic behavior. Make amends with the people you can make amends with, and go to ice cream once a week and get ice cream once a week. We will see you on the other side. Hey, it's Ron here with Mitch Weeks from Mitch.loans. Mitch, it's interesting, as the interest rates have risen, many people thought, oh, well, there'll be a bunch of inventory that comes on right at the first part of 2023, and then things will level out. That didn't happen. Inventory remains tight. Interest rates remain high. Why would that still be a good time to buy? Well, now's a great time to buy, and that's because rates are going to drop, and we're going to see a feeding frenzy. Right now, there's a huge stagnant hole in the market, and that's that 700k to 1.2-ish million dollar home. And all the people living in those homes right now either refied or bought in a two and a half to three and a half percent rate, and they're terrified to move. They know if they sell their home, they're going to have to jump into a six, six and a half percent rate, and it just won't look as attractive. So what's going to happen is rates are going to drop and all those people who wanted to move, wanted to upsize, wanted to move for whatever reason, you know, people just like to move in life, but they don't move if there's this blocker. And we're going to see that blocker come off. We're going to see the cap come off and we're going to see a, a bit of a frenzy here. All right. So this would be the time to buy and then replace the rate uh, once it drops with your new program. Yeah, we've got the rate and replace program. You can buy now and you can refi free of charge, free of the lender fees. Um, and we'll take care of those for you. So great deal. All right. Check him out online at Mitch.loans. It's not a dot com. It's Mitch.loans. 
All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. We talk a lot about longevity, I think, on this show because it's the age that we're at. Is you just turned 53, I'm 56. And, you know, sometimes when, when you look at parents, grandparents, you, you see them live old. My grandma, for instance, she lived till she was 94, but there was no dementia. She was very, very sharp, very, very smart, very curious. And I, and, 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 and she was always walking, reading, having conversations, traveling. Uh, she ate pretty well, even though she liked to cook everything in bacon grease, but it kind of worked for her, but she had longevity on her side. And even when I look back at my grandfather on on my mom's side, he lived, I think to be 83, my dad's side. I, I I don't know when my grandfather died. I never met him. And my grandmother, I I think she may have died at some point in in her seventies. I'm not sure, but, but you, you begin to see your life and life speeds up as you get older. And I always think, okay. Where was I when I was 18? Well, when I was 18 and I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I remember, you know, pay, uh, playing for my coach there, Coach Hall, who just passed away, and they're going to have a, uh, a service for him coming up July 22nd. But then I fast forward 10 years and I say, okay, what was life? Can I remember what my life was like when I was 18? And then I add 10 years to it. What was it like when I was 28? And then I add 10 more years to it. What was it like when I was 38? And then I add 10 more years to it. And I went, wow, 48. And now I'm approaching 58. So 18 was a long time ago. And, and it lets you know that you are closer to the end of your life than you are to the beginning, right? You, you just are. And, and, and because of that, you begin to ask these questions in your 50. How much is enough? Uh, Ron had talked a couple podcasts ago about how important it was for you to pay off your home. Your home is, your home is paid off and why that was important to you. At what point do you cash in all your chips and say, you know, I've, I've made enough. I think I'm going to live to this long. Here are the things that I want to do. And I'm going to begin to go do them. Cause I grew up in a house where not, no one was college educated, blue collar jobs. My dad was a truck driver. My, my mother was a secretary. And then you, you, you get a pension later on in life and then you quit your trucking job and then you have this pension and maybe you have a trailer. Uh, maybe you have a vacation cabin somewhere and you do a job that maybe you don't like that much, but it's, 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 it's what you do because you've been doing it for 50 years or, or whatever that is. And, and I think now, especially with the gig economy that we live in and the influencer economy that people now in their twenties, thirties, forties, they're taking time off and saying, Hey, yeah, I just lost my tech job, but I'm going to take two years off. I'm going to take some of the money I saved and I'm going to go travel and I'm going to enjoy this life. Cause I don't know how long I am going to live. Think about this. If you make it to 65 for men, statistically, statistically, you're going to make it to 84 women. If you make it to 65, statistically, you're going to make it to 87. So as we approach those numbers and you begin to back up, you begin to think about, hey, have I saved enough? Most Americans that are going into retirement, have, if they have a retirement account, and many don't, has saved on average $254,000, a quarter of a million dollars. That's not a lot of money if you're retiring when you're 62, you've saved a quarter of a million dollars. And then if you're retiring early and you're going to take that social security check, Cut that check in half because the max check that you can get right now is 4000 just under $4,800. But let's say that you qualify for the max. If you take that when you're 62, that's only 2000 I think it's 200, 2200 
and thirty three dollars. I was reading that before we did we we did the show today. So thinking about saving enough because who cares if you retire and then you can't go do anything because you don't have the money to do it, right? So so you think about that, but then you also think about the what what is the quality of my life going to be like? You see a lot of police officers, firefighters, if they haven't developed other hobbies, what immediately happens to them? After all the serotonin uh, and all the highs and lows that you get from doing rescue work and pulling out guns and running into burning buildings, a lot of them, when they retire, they end up dying from a heart attack, a massive heart attack within three to five years of retirement, right? We see people in the military sometimes, they go through a similar thing if they've lived a life in the military. So this was very interesting articles because it talked about the fact if you focus on this one thing in particular... It will really help drive longevity as you get older. And Ron, they had a word for it, but I'll just say this word. It really comes down to feeling purpose. What is my purpose as I sit here at 56 years young? What is your purpose at 53? And if the purpose has always been to retire, and then you get to retirement, and then you always hear people, well, I want to spend more time with my kids. You've retired. You spent more time with your kids. You've done some traveling. And for a lot of people, it's now what? And as I look at at friends and family members that have gotten older, those that still feel a purpose never really retired, but they feel a purpose, and maybe they transition to something else. Their, their longevity is, is, is really amazing to me. And I saw that in my grandmother. Other people that just their purpose is to retire and then they retire. Oftentimes they get sick, they get cancer, they have a heart attack and they're dead. So what say you about 53 years young, the word retirement, they say maybe we should shelve that word and really think about transitioning maybe to a different purpose as, as we get older. I think it's brilliant. I, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine the other day, their neighbors in his 90s, and he still works a part-time job. Not because he has to, yep. but because it's something that he enjoys doing and it gives him that purpose. So he has a place to be, he has an office to go to. He has a skill set that from, you know, all the years he's lived on this planet. And it's still, he's still spry and sharp because he's continued to do that. I, I, I really resonate with what you're saying of like, have that purpose and also do the things now when you're still relatively young and healthy. Like you and I were talking about. Uh, for me, I, for a decade at least, I'm like, oh, I want to, you know, spend extended times in another country and just see what that feels like. And I've been saying that for so long that like I need to start figuring how to do that and do a test balloon in some way. And, uh, you know, there's always the excuse that you can find to not do something. I'm trying to find more excuses to do something. And in part of that was, you know, like paying off my mortgage, doing some of the stuff in our business that we've done to where it's like, okay, um, I'm setting myself up to give myself permission to do these things I've always wanted to do. And that can be part of your purpose as well. Like you and I are going to go do a diving trip next spring. And it's like, I think 10 years ago, you would have said no to that. Mm -hmm. I don't think you would have done it. Mm -hmm. There would have been nine different reasons for both of us to not have done that. And almost without hesitation, you're like, yeah, I want to do that. Yep. And so that's (laughs) that's a fundamental change. Yeah. And so those are things that I think are important. And, um, you know, finding a way for you to give back is people that retire in this like, Oh, I can't wait to do nothing. It's like, wow, really? Like that's your ambition 
to do as least amount as possible seems odd to me, but yeah. a lot of people do that. Yeah. Anyway, find your, find your, find your purpose and, and live a good long life. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Ron and Don show. Don't forget Friday show. It's a real estate only show. So this show dropped on Thursday, Friday. Uh, we're going to talk about, and, and this is good for realtors. This is good for people that are thinking about buying, selling, uh, investing, we're going to talk about the power of an early offer and when you go early and the kind of pressure it creates and what you should do if you're selling a house and you get an early offer or you're trying to buy a house. Uh, when when do you write an early offer? And is this a good climate right now to write an early offer in? Uh, we'll talk about that on our real estate only edition of the Ron and Don Show uh, episode 581 and uh, it'll drop in about 24 hours from now. So, hey, if you need us, just reach out. Ron and Don, sit down. Until then, head up, shoulders back. Here's the Ron and Don.